If you have your Bibles with you uh, this morning, please turn to Ephesians, the second chapter. We're going to start at verse 11 this morning, read down through the end of the chapter. Um, This is a new week. It's a new beginning for the second part of this second chapter. And this is such an important structure, and I've been wanting to get here. Um, You know, we've worked through the whole first chapter of the book of um, Ephesians, but it is in chapter 2 that Paul begins to pick up this theme, what God has done. He talks about what God has done in salvation in chapter 1, and it's from God's perspective looking down to us that before the foundations of the world that he chose us in Jesus Christ, and then he sent some 2,000 years ago his son to die on the cross. Uh, The advent, the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ becoming flesh, Uh, some 2,000 years ago, and then in each of our different times, God met us with the Holy Spirit. We see that, and when we look backwards, we see uh, the Holy Spirit working in us, and us understanding Jesus died, and us understanding finally that God had done all this and planned all of it. Well, as we turn to the middle section of chapter 2 and look through chapters 2, 3, and 4, we're going to see the sovereignty of God again in his planning for mankind in this place, because that's the church. Um, this section opens that this morning, and we're going to—it's going to kind of be an overview and uh, kind of a focus on just the first three verses. And you know, it won't take more than three or four hours today to complete. And I think you're going to love it. All right, read with me. It's beginning at verses 11 in chapter two, uh, down through the end of the, the the chapter through verse 22. Therefore, remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by, uh, made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. That new man is the focus here. In place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility And when he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple to the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, as we open this passage of, of the book of Ephesians, I just uh, I cry out, my heart cries out, that, that we will be clear that, that uh, the beloved here this morning at Park Bible Baptist Church and those who are listening online, and we'll see this sermon later, will understand the great goodness and the great sovereignty and the absolute plan uh, that you have had in bringing us of all desperate nations, tongues, tribes, all around, people, skin colors, all ethnicities together into one people 
with that hostility, not only between us and you, but us one to another, being broken down through the blood and work of Christ on our behalf. You're bringing us into the church. Us, a great group of Abraham's children, true Israel, as the Bible would tell us, that we're no longer outsiders, that you brought us in, that we're the church, that that's the work that you're doing, that you would bring all men together. And then from that we see that sin is the only thing that separates us ultimately, separates us from you and from one another, and that you've overcome our sin in Christ and brought us into the church, into covenant relationships so that we can share in the blessings of Israel. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ephesians 2, 11, 12, and 13. That's all we're going to have time for this morning. Um, Paul is saying, you Gentiles, you used to be outsiders. When he's saying that, he's saying that to all of us, okay? Uh, all of us sitting here, unless we're a Jew this morning, are a Gentile. That word Gentile there, we'll look at more of that later uh, in this passage, but it's a very important word. And he, he goes on to say, and he brings it into a religious context. And when he does that, he groups two groups of people. He groups some people as outsiders and some people as insiders. He does that in verse 11. If we just read it again, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, those were the outsiders, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Paul is telling a bunch of Asian believers at this church in Ephesus to not forget where they came from. Well, that's basically what he's saying. And in doing that, he's giving us a great theology of what God is doing, the sovereignty of God in creating the church. And again, we're seeing it from God's perspective down to man. We look at it from man's perspective back to God, and we look at this world and we see all the hurt and the division, and we wonder how it could ever work out. Even so, we see it in the church to some level, but that is what God is doing. So Paul reminds these Asian believers that they were not people of God. They were in a hopeless position before God, ultimately. In many ways, this parallels the first section that we read of the book of Ephesians, where he notes that their extreme condition before God was that they were dead in their sins. You see that in 2.1. They were dead heathens. They weren't just dead in their sins. They were dead heathens, and their allegiance was only to the devil. And he had taken them, God had, from death to life, from followers of the devil, only able to do evil, to doing good works. He had united them with Christ so that their works were now good and they were saved from the pits of hell to come to the highest of heavenly realms to be seated there with Christ and given not worthless works to do, but good works to do. Not works of dead men, but dead uh, works of men who are alive in Christ, which Scripture tells us there that God had prepared beforehand for them to do, before the foundations of the world that we should do and walk in them. They were dead, now they're alive. They were doing dead works, now good works. But as with chapter 1, Paul is getting to ready to expound on something much more glorious, this truth that these Gentile believers from whom they were to whom they were becoming is just absolutely marvelous because who they were was the pagans that followed Satan to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And each one of us has been brought from there to here this morning if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And there's a great truth here, beloved. And we'll just have to land here on this for the next few weeks. But for contained here in chapter 2, and as we gather steam up through chapter 4, you're going to learn. In fact, let's just turn to chapter 4 and look at that. Look at it there for uh, beginning in, in, in uh, I'll just start at verse 1. I therefore a prisoner... For the Lord, Paul, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that calling is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
to do that with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 4, here's where I wanted to be because this is the beginning of it in verse two or in chapter 2 that we're starting on today. Paul's going to say there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your one call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. There's, that's so exclusionary. And the unity that Paul's talking about and what's getting ready to ta- transpire here is God's sovereign work of taking desperate people groups We've got Africans, we've got Chinese, we've got Russians, we've got Indians, we've got black, we've got white, we've got yellow, we've got all different colors, all different creeds, and God's going to bring them together in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man tries every day to create unity, and they never will. They just create more disunity. God doesn't. God's going to do this. That's what he's saying. You were outsiders, and now you're insiders. And that begins here in this, and I just want to explain this a bit further because this concept is no small issue for the epistle of the Ephesians or for Paul, and much less for God. This is everything God is doing. This is the central modus operandi of what God is doing to bring people in the Lord Jesus Christ together in the church, in this place, to glorify him from now throughout eternity. That's what God is doing, and he chose you is what Paul is saying. It's God's working and it's glorious. So what is the greatest issue that man faces? This brings this question. Is it a financial crisis? Is it physical? Is it mental? Is it racism? Is it equity, fairness, tribalism, social justice? What is it? Is it climate change? Is it immigration? Is it election laws? Is it gay marriage? What is the greatest challenge that man faces? What is the greatest issue of man? Beloved, the greatest issue that man faces, has ever faced, and will ever face is that before a holy God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere pleasant at every time is that they are condemned before him in their sin, and they need a Savior. Our world does a great job of distracting us from that. Everything else is the problem for the evil that's in the world except the sin that's in your own heart. Our world does a great job distracting from that beloved this is the heart of the issue of man and the church and what god is doing that from all the desperate people groups on the face of the earth from all of the ethnicities tribes and tongues and all the nations on the face of this planet god is creating one group of people who love honor obey and exalt god over themselves and he calls it the church He is creating one new man, as you see it there. And this truth has implications for today like no other truth that man could ever know. So I want you to see those two things this morning. I want you to see that God is getting ready to tell us that that the greatest problem that man has is sin and the greatest need they have is a Savior in Jesus Christ. And the greatest thing that God is doing is bringing man together in the church. He's bringing man to turn his head from the evil that he once knew to the God that that, that, that is reconciling him through Jesus Christ. And he's giving you, the church, the people of God, the covenant promises. You see that there? Paul says, you were you were separated therefore remember at one time you were gentiles in the flesh you were uncircumcised verse 12 remember that you were separated from christ alienated from the commonwealth of israel and strangers to the covenants of promise that's something that a lot of you i think don't haven't considered this morning all this strife and fear and worry and unrest and disquiet in the world is all caused because sinful man is outside the kingdom of god 
That's it. <laughs> it's nothing less than that. It's not global warming. It's not racism. It's not all these evil things that they distract us with. It's none of those things. It's because man is sinful and outside the kingdom of God. Who's outside the kingdom of God? Mm, Revelation 22, verse 15. Listen to these words. They'll be familiar to you. I know you've read this book. Outside are the... It goes on to talk about heaven, the tree of life. Christ is there, the water, that, the living water that is flowing from him and all the glorious realities of what the next life will be. But it says out in verse 15, last chapter of the book of Revelation, last chapter of the Bible, it says, but outside of that are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone and who loves and practices falsehood. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, revelries, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, even envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all things like this. Those are the ones that are outside the kingdom. That's what he has brought you out of from those things. To faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying to these Ephesians believers. The conditions outside the kingdom are dire, and they're going to be until God consumes everything one day and sends all those outside the kingdom to eternal damnation. Peter says, though, you're a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You see the difference? You see the juxtaposition there? I can't think of anything popular that... Either our government or people are talking about from day to day that is more important than sin, that we deal with sin. So let's just exposit this passage just a little bit. In verse 11, Paul calls these believers in efforts to a remembrance. He's reminding them of the truth that they were once outside the promises of the people of God. I don't know if you've considered that this morning, but that's really um, uh, that along with God, what God's doing in bringing all men together is that people that are brought into the promises of God, I don't think understand what those promises of God's are. Because Paul directly says here in verse 12 that we were separated from the promises of the covenant. What does that mean, right? I want to explain that. We were brought into the promises of the people of God. And as he brings them into remembrance, we see biblical boundaries between two, not multiple groups, but just two groups. The pagans, that is the uncircumcised in verse 11, and the Gentiles, or the, uh, or the Gentiles, and two, the circumcised, the people of God. Let me straighten that out a little bit here. We have the pagans, those who were uncircumcised. And then we have the Jews, the people of God, the people that received all the words of God, who were the circumcised. But it's, Paul goes to a little bit of, of effort here to show us that that circumcision, even that circumcision, is in the flesh, so that we know that even the Jews are saved by the same Christ, that these people, these Ephesians, these pagans that were in Ephesus and the ones even living today. So first, this word Gentile, you have to understand what that is translated from in the Greek, because it it's going to mean a lot to you once you understand that. I think uh, once I, um, I, I love teaching this because a lot of people use the word race, and the Bible uses the word race nowhere. Uh, if it does, it's, it's translated it by mistake in your version because the, the word race is not in the Bible. God does not see us in races of people. He sees us in different ethnicities, okay? And the two great groups that the Bible sees is the pagan and the people of God, <laughs> 
the pagan and the people of God. So the Greek word translated Gentile here, sometimes translated nation, is the Greek word ethnos. Ethnos. And the definition of ethnos is a body of persons united by kinship, culture, and common traditions, a nation, a people. Sometimes it's translated nation, but literally here in the context of circumcision, which is the identifying mark of the people of God, they are called the uncircumcision, or those people without God. Now, did you catch in the Greek pronunciation ethnos what that word sounds like in the English? It's where we get the English word ethnicity, okay, ethnicity, and that word has been highly co-opted today to mean race, but race and racism is a human construct. It's a classing of people used to segregate different people groups, but the word race and racism are not used in the Bible. Race and racism are liberally used in our world today to segregate people by skin color, However, this is not the idea behind the Greek word ethnos. Two people can have the same ethnicity, but have very different skin colors. And what you see here, though, is what is important because the Bible is not segregating by race or skin color. Man segregates by race, by skin color, by sex, by political and financial and social constructs. But God never does that. He separates by circumcised and uncircumcised pagan, and godly people, okay? You're either in the family of God, the circumcision, or not, no matter what your skin color. Man wants to segregate you into these things, but God does not. The, sometimes you hear it, um, segregation in the haves and haves-nots, the oppressed and the oppressor. Uh, that's called Marxism. That's not biblical. God sees you as either somebody that is washed in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, or somebody that's not. The root of Marxism is how one man sees another, but the root of what God is doing through sin is why a man sees another man in that way. And that is always sin. Why do men treat other men evil? Why do they make these groups? Why is there strife, warring, thievery, murder, sexual immorality? The answer is paganism and the sin. Sin is what does it. Man is separated from God because of sin. And Paul's going to begin to expose that a little bit for us in verse 12 as we start. He says, remember, and he gives you five points that they were separated from God from. And it's in these five points that we build to the understanding that God is working in Christ to bring us to all the promises of Israel. All the Old Testament promises that were Israel's in the covenant is ours today as the church. You see it there in verse 12. He says, remember at that time you were separated from Christ. That is why men are in sin, because they're separated from Christ. That's number one, alienated from the commonwealth. In other words, they were strangers. They were foreigners. They were alienated from citizenship of Israel. They were strangers of the covenants. That's where I want to spend the most time this morning. And they had no hope, and they were without God. No hope without God. They were separated from Christ. They were alienated from citizenship of Israel. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. They had no hope, and they were godless. Literally, that word in Scripture is atheos, atheistic, atheos. They were godless, without God. They did not believe in God. They did not have the hope of God. First, it's separated from Christ. And Christ be the fountain from which all blessings flow to the people of God. All blessings flow from Christ. It was Christ at Mount Calvary 
the perfect Lamb of God's sacrifice there and this, when connected to the Jewish context that Paul is here expressing in the book of Ephesians, has messianic implications. Those sound like Old Testament words, don't they? But Jesus Christ is our Messiah as well. Jesus Christ is our opening to the covenant promises of God. That's what Paul is alluding to here. Jesus Christ is the one who transfers us from the pagan uh, life that we once had into the life of the church, into the city, into citizenship of Israel, as this passage is going to tell us. He's the one that breaks down the hostility between us and God, and because it's broken down between us and God, it's broken down between us and our fellow man. It's Jesus the fount of all those blessings. In the Jewish context here, it definitely has messianic implications. You see, we had no Savior. We were disconnected from the hope of the promise of all that the Messiah represented. We had no deliverer, no king. And if no deliverer and no king, we had no Messiah, no hope to be reconciled to God, no hope in this place of those covenant promises that mean so much to God's covenant people. No king to protect us, no final hope, no hope here in this place, in this physical place, and no final hope of deliverance or reconciliation with God. Thus, no eternal hope comes for those who are separated from Christ. Think of a world for me just a moment. Think of a world without Christ, a people without Christ. You see it all around us, don't we? It's a graceless world. It's a graceless world that says you need to perform all these good works, and once you've performed all those good works, that's not good enough because you've got to keep performing good works. So it's devoid of hope. One where life and work have no ultimate meaning. One where all of the traditions that we celebrate, that we're celebrating even at this moment, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, all the Gregorian calendar dates and all the liturgical calendar dates, the feasts, the celebrations, the dedications, all of it, if you did not know, because if you were separated from God, you would not have any of these. It would be a mean, pathetic living. It would be no living at all for those who were separated from Christ. And then he indeed calls them to remembrance that this separation from Christ was the greatest issue they faced. All of these other truths flow from being separated from Christ. Once we're in Christ, we're in the church. Once we're in Christ, we're reconciled to God. Once we're in Christ, we're not only reconciled to God and our eternity is taken care of, but are present in the promises of the covenant. That is, these Asian believers as Gentiles were not part of the corporate body, and because of that, they did not share in the citizens' rights. That's what he meant by alienated from citizenship, number two there in that list of five items that they were separated from. What were those rights? Paul tells us in Romans 3 some of those rights. He says in verses 1 and 2, then what advantage has the Jew? Paul says, well, I'll tell you what advantage they have. Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jews were the people that had God's word. They had God's hope. They had God's promises through the prophets. They had everything of God had told them all along, but the pagans, the Gentiles, the other nations didn't have any of that hope. You have to remember that we're going back to the first century. Christ was new. They had none of this hope. And you say, well, why does that matter so much? Because the oracles of God are what told them who God was. It's God's perfect revelation of who he was, and it was given to the Jews, and they had that to live and to have hope for. This is what Abraham would have believed in in chapter 12 of Genesis. Deuteronomy says it this way, verse, uh, or chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. 
For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as to the Lord is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? The Jews well understood what great providence they had in being the people of God. But this is what God is doing in the church, beloved. He is establishing a corporate people who have, have and know his promises through his word and live and die doing his good works that he gave them beforehand to do to glorify him. He's breaking down all of the man-made barriers and categories and dividing lines and giving the people of God the blessings of God through the covenant of God. That's what God is doing. A lot of people ask me, they're confused. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know what God wants from me. And I think it's a very good question. I get to answer, I get to answer that often. What does God want from me? What is God doing in the world? What is it? You know, if you read the Bible uh, from front to back, you'll see that God makes all of these promises. But what does that look like practically for the believer today? What is God doing? He's breaking down all the man-made categories. He's breaking down all of the dividing lines of man. He's giving the people of God the blessings of God through the covenant of God. That's the simple answer. Everything you see around you, God is doing because he sent his son Jesus to save a people that is separate, holy, and called out of this world to himself. And he's given them the promises and the blessings of the covenant. This is why the oracles of God and citizenship would have taught this to every child and man. And Paul is reminding them, you lived in chaos before worshiping and you were worshiping a pantheon, the gods that could not save. They had no power to deliver. Good night. They came from Ephesus where they had a temple worship all the time, but they were false worshipers. They had no God. They had no hope. They had no salvation. Beloved, I'll, I'll tell you this simple quip, that it's either Christ or chaos. It's either Christ or chaos. But God's word does exactly what he's promised it to do. We're the ones that don't believe it. I can't believe that we would ever look at something like raise up a child and nurture an admonition of the Lord, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. There's a lot of things in our world that want us to say, yeah, but, to that, but that's God's promise. Raise up a child and nurture an admonition of the Lord, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. Raise up the child and knowing the promises of God, and when he's older, he won't run away from them. Those are the promises of God. The promises of God are to give us a, a covenant of, 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 of blessings, of strength. Now, here's where it all begins to come together when you begin to learn about what the covenant is because everything that God is doing, he is doing out of faithfulness to his promises to his people. Everything that he is doing, he's doing out of his promises to his people. He's bringing all that to pass over centuries before our very eyes. What is the covenant that Paul is talking about? What is it that Paul said they were once strangers to? Do you see it there in verse 12? They were strangers to the covenant. Listen, here is the truth. If you don't know the covenant promises of God, you're disconnected from these and his word, and all you can do is assume as fact man's dim view and understanding of reality. And this is the world of chaos we see around us today. It's random. It's, uh, it's, it is this way because man believes he understands, yet he's evil in his heart, and it's just random. It's out of control. It seems like there's no orchestration to all of it because sin is in the very center of it. Everybody believes they understand what's wrong. Everybody has a 
opinion about what is wrong. They make laws. They spend money. They change rules. They do this. They do that, trying to make it all make sense. But yet it doesn't quite make sense, and it won't because it's not reality. It's not what God is doing. Until you know what God is doing, you're going to seem lost and out of place in this world. What they're doing, their best efforts are going to fail. And we see that carried out before us every day because they don't give glory to God and all of it fails to understand the nature of man and that is sin. Sin's the reality. Separation from Christ and God is the reality and man is sinful. And we need to know God and understand his covenant promises so we can flourish as men and women and children on this earth. So if I ask you this this morning, what is God's covenant? Would you have an answer for me? What is his promises to you that has been from uh, Old Testament Israel carried through even today that if you are a believer in Christ, that if you are a follower of Jesus, that if your sins have been expunged by his propitiating sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, what are the covenant promises that God is bringing to you? I mean, it's not a secret. Do you know what they are? Grab on tight here because this is what your heart desires. This is what God is doing. This is why God made you. This is why your life won't make sense until you know. This is why the world doesn't make sense because you don't know what God gave you to do and you're just kind of random and searching and winging it. But God has given his law and his commandments and his covenants and his formulation for human thriving and it's right there in scripture and he's promised blessings if we follow it. So what is it? What is his covenant? What is the promises that he's given to Israel? Turn with me, if you will, Genesis chapter 1. We're just going to skip around through several passages here. I want to show you this so you'll see that this covenant promises and these promises are yours today. Go to Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It's called the cultural mandate. It's God's promises to give us a place, a land to live. It's God's promise to give us a seed, children to fill and subdue the earth worth. And it's God's promises that he will be with us and never leave us and forsake us and that if we follow his commands that he'll send blessings to us. It doesn't stop there. It never got changed. If you go through the flood and you go over to Genesis 9, just a few pages over, look there at verses 7 through 11 with me. This was the promise to Adam and Eve. This was the promise to Noah. Now all the people on the earth are dead except Noah and his sons and their daughters and his wife. And this is what he says to Noah on the other side of the flood. Verse 7, chapter 9. And you be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. That's you, beloved. You come through Noah. From Adam and Eve, through the flood, through Noah... To this day, you're one of his descendants. That promise is for you and yours to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill and subdue the earth and have dominion over it. This is God's promises to you in Christ. And this is what God is doing in the church as he takes men from the groups that men have put them in and he brings them under the blood of his son to the church to give him the promises that he gave to these Old Testament saints. Just a few more pages to chapter 12 of the book of Genesis. And it shouldn't take long to go through the whole book of Genesis this morning, right? We're just going to highlight a few of the 10, 15, 50 chapters that it has. 
Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, you know who Abram is, right? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had father. Come on, sing with me. Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you. Okay, let's just sing along some other time. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. There's the promise. And I'll make you a great nation. What does it mean to be a great nation in Abraham's day? Same it does today. He's going to have a bunch of children, right? More than they can number. I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, right? Are you looking for that today? The men sitting here, the young men sitting here. You want to conquer the world? You want to have dominion over? Yeah. Look at the covenant. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Go to chapter 15 of the book of Genesis. I'm not kidding. We're going to go through all of Genesis, right? And after these words, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I'm your shield. I'm your reward. You shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? I continue childless in the air of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, and your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look up to heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Verse 7, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. The promise of land, the promise of seed, the promise of blessing. Go to Jeremiah 31, 31. Just a few more books of the Bible over, right? Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. We're going to see that that covenant continues on into the new covenant. Got it? 31, 31, Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their sin." And I'll remember their sin no more. Jump ahead with me into Revelation chapter 7. Oh, I'm, I'm painting a picture. I hope that you'll stay with me long enough to see it. Revelation chapter 7. What is the outcome of the covenant? The book of Revelation tells us. Revelation 7 beginning verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude of people that no one could number. All Abraham's children. All people of the covenant. All people of the church. A great number that no one could, a great multitude that no one could number. From every what? Do you see that word, that next word? From every nation. Do you know what that word nation is? It's the same word that's translated Gentile. It's the Greek word ethnos. You see what I'm saying? From every ethnicity, 
Man tries to categorize you, put you into black and white and yellow and brown, male and female, rich, poor, haves, have-nots, oppressed, oppressor. God doesn't work that way. He sees two people. He sees the saved and the lost. He sees people that need Jesus Christ, that are outside his covenant, and that's why he sent his son Jesus And this is the result of his work. It's a result of the promise of the covenant that there in heaven was a great multitude that not one person could number of every nation, of every tribe, of every tongue, from all tribes and peoples, languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Right? Jump down to verse 18, 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him all day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And on down to verse 17, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now just one more, and I can't stand it. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. This is the fulfillment of all the covenant that God has given us. By the way, what is heaven? It's a promised land that's coming, a promised perfect place that's coming. It's just nothing more than the ultimate outcome of all of God's promises through the covenant that he first made with Adam and Eve, that he brought through the flood to Noah, that he gave to Abraham, and he brought it in a new way with the son to, to, to save us from our sins through his blood. But it is a result of all those, that covenant promise that we, the church, will stand in heaven one day, the greatest place of land, where there will be no more sin, dying, or cursing anymore. This is what it says in chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, John said. The first had passed away, the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. It was coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard with a loud voice the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and he will, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's what God promises you. It's either Christ or chaos. You're either part of the people of God or not. Verse 13 says it. It's either Christ or chaos. And and there you see in Ephesians 2.14 that he, Jesus, is our peace. You have either been brought near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ and reconciled to him. And if to him, your fellow man, and you are living in the world, which is this world of unrest and strife and difficulties that are all caused by people being separated from Christ. It is Christ because only Christ can deal with your sin. You must be born again and give a godly, given a godly repentance that leads to life. What is true of your life is true of the whole. And when you were separated from Christ, you knew, you know the sin, you know the life you lived, and you know that it would have only been worse not knowing anything or having any understanding of grace and the law and God in Christ, but God. Now those things are wholly changed. And because Christ has come, you have wisdom because you know the God and fear him in fact that you understand truth about sin how sin works and what it causes in this life how it corrupts everything and how it causes men to do evil to other men you see it you understand it it's either Christ and his benefits in the life of the believer or it will be chaos but now verse 13 do you see it there you were separated from Christ separated 
from the citizenship of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. No longer. I brought you there this morning. You had no hope and you were godless. You were atheistic at some level. But verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off, you have been brought near. This is the result of understanding how God has worked and why Paul could exclaim, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly places with ever blessing as he chose us even before the foundations of this world to be holy and blameless in Christ. He has predestined us to those glorious realities. Young man, if you want to live your life and flourish and conquer and fill this earth and have dominion over it, give your life to Christ. Give your life to Christ. Young women, do you want to live and flourish and fill and subdue? Do you want all the covenant promises? Give your life to Christ. Give all your life to Christ. Find you a Titus 2 women who will teach you what it means to be a godly woman and go and flourish in this place. Flourish for the glory of God. I can't say this to the church enough this morning. You have the covenant promises. They are there. They promise land. They promise seed. They promise blessings for obedience. You are in Christ. Go live. Go fill. Go subdue. Go have dominion over and flourish as human beings to the glory of God in this place. We are the church, beloved. (laughs) I tell the kids this all the time, have a family. My goodness, do you understand what happens when you have seven children? You raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You train them up in the way they should go. When they grow up, they will not depart from it. There will be little images of God that bring him glory. And they have seven children each themselves. What if they do that? That's even more glorious. And your grandchildren have seven children. So do you understand the glory that is built in to the promises that God has given you in the covenant? That is power. This is a molecular structure. It's an unbreakable union. Listen, if, if you have seven children and each one of your seven children have seven children to your great-grandchildren, that's almost 700 people with husbands and wives. Do you see the power in that? That's, a, that's an unbreakable unit to you that, that man can't separate. But culture would have you single, single and weak and easily separatable, defenseless. A threefold cord is not easily broken, Ecclesiastes says. This is not God's plan for you. Single, celibate is biblical, but not single. And living the way the world says is glorious, this is not God's plan because it doesn't fit the mandate, doesn't fit the cultural mandate, and it's not strong and it won't withstand, and there is no helper for you. The families grow out of bonded, being bonded together and withstand. They, they have helpers. You have strength. It's like a molecular bond and structure. They grow stronger and stronger the bigger they get, and they become communities, and they grow. Families are small churches, and strong families make strong churches, and strong churches make strong communities, and strong communities make strong nations, and the gates of hell will not prevail against that. I don't preach a dying Christianity, one that just says, wait for God to come back and fix everything. I see us as God's solution for this world. All right, I'm stopping. I see a risen Savior as eternal King. Prophet Daniel says these words, And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall never pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So draw near to Christ. 
draw near to Christ and come near to God in Christ and then get to work, beloved, for you know that your labor is never in vain in the Lord. Get to work, beloved. God is doing something in the church much greater than you might have ever possibly imagined or ever comprehended on your own. You want to do that? You want to have the covenant blessings? Draw near to God in Jesus Christ, and his promises will be yours. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to a close this morning, there's so much more that could be said about this passage. In the weeks to come, as we begin to expand this, we're going to see your plan for man in this place, and it is so glorious, Father. Will you do that work in these people this morning? Will you help give them the victory right now down deep in their hearts to where this world can't drive them to despair, to where this world and all of its selfishness and sinfulness cannot make them worry, fear, or ever fret because your promises are much greater, your covenant with us. Father, do that work in your people this morning and in their lives in the weeks to come as we celebrate this Advent season. We do so because we've come near in Christ. For it's in his name we pray this morning. Amen.